It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You know what I want. <laughs> Not Samsung, Greg. Not Samsung. No, I want to Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the whatever Samson is doing in the form of a podcast. <laughs> I There's a lot of different things we try and do. We're just talking about basketball, basically. Um, thank you to everybody for joining live. This is kind of a new, interesting thing we're trying to do more often of this season, this year. And to talk all about, you know, the man of the moment, Scotty Barnes, who is in the midst, Sam and I think, of a star leap of sorts. And to talk about it, somebody who has covered Scotty for a long time now, familiar with his high school stuff, familiar with yeah. his college stuff, and all of us are getting much more familiar with what's happening at the NBA level. The Scotty Barnes conversation with Sam Vecini of, you know, he's a senior writer at The Athletic for the NBA yep. and draft stuff, and also the Game Theory podcast. Sam, how are you doing, man? What's going on, Samson? It's good to be back. I feel like we did this maybe like 11 months ago. I think it was something like in December or so yes. after maybe 20 to 25 games of Scotty and people were melting down and they were like, what's wrong with Scotty? What's this? What's that? What's that? And I feel like I was like, look, I think that he's really struggling on defense, but this is just like natural growing pains. Right. And now here we are and he's an all-star and I, I love it. And I'm so excited to talk about all of this uh, because he is just such a fun personality first and foremost that's always been the thing that stood out about scotty is just uh the character on the court and he's always had that motor and energy and high uh degree of motor and then now the skill level is coming along and it's just really really exciting to watch i think he is somebody who i have covered any insane amount of scotty barnes uh just going in on like every possession to see what he's been up to, what he's been succeeding at. And he is one of the most interesting players in the league to me and somebody well, that... To, to, to be clear, Samson, I think you have covered Scotty Barnes more comprehensively than any human being has <laughs> ever covered another player in NBA history. So I, I don't mean that as a slight. I mean that as a credit to you. I think you deserve an immense amount of flowers for the work you've done. Uh, it, it has been really, really fantastic work. I, I do appreciate that. And this is something that kind of goes back to your analysis of him early and my an analysis of him more recently is that you can pay as much attention to a player as possible. Um, you echoed the sentiment on Twitter. These are young men who grow in different ways and sometimes pop off in different ways. And Scotty, like the, yeah. the shooting has been completely unexpected and unprecedented to some degree if this sticks around. But all the typical... I guess hallmarks of his game are really being shown at the NBA level right now. Like the defense that was so popular at Florida State, while he's not guarding point guards now, he's lower in the in the defense with the Raptors. He's popping off. He's one of the best defensive players on the team, pushing in transition, always trying to get the Raptors into early offense, always trying to make sure that if he can leave a guy behind him and go four on three, 
or four on two, he makes that happen. The Raptors have huge numbers pushing off of, you know, missed shots from the other team. And, you know, when I looked at all of his passes from last season and was looking at advantage assists, this is a guy who can pass his teammates into really easy shots and everything is coalesced. And then there's a jump shot on top of it. I, you mentioned on your breakdown today that Scotty makes you want to reevaluate bigger, longer guys like Scotty in the college game. And I'm curious what you mean by that. Yeah. So the college game in general, and if you want to go watch more of me breaking down Scotty Barnes tape, I did it over on my YouTube channel, Game Three Podcast with Sam Vecini. I did like an hour long deep dive into his tape from the Spurs game just with kind of some of the things I'm seeing. Cause I thought it was really emblematic of a lot of what I've seen because he is, he's, he struggled a little bit in that first half. He only sure. had three points. I thought there were a lot of defensive breakdowns actually. And in the second half, I think he put together particularly like the fourth quarter was the best quarter. Maybe I've seen somebody play this year. Mm-hmm. Like there are like Luca had the crazy one against Brooklyn, obviously that stands out. It's certainly in the top five. I thought he was like completely unstoppable in that quarter. So to get to your question, this has already happened. Like, it's not even like it makes me want to, like, I I already like kind of do it now because the college court is so condensed, right? You're talking about a, you know, 21 foot three point line as opposed to 23, nine. You're talking about a game that has fewer shooters around than the NBA game because college basketball players are ostensibly worse than NBA players, which is not a surprise to people. (laughs) What ends up happening is that college coaches end up packing the paint, packing the mid range area to such a substantial extent that these dudes that are bigger physically, right. That can handle the ball like a Scotty Barnes. uh, They struggle to find the creases and cracks and driving lanes that you might expect other players to see and frankly that sometimes like six foot one guys are just more capable of finding because they're smaller mm-hmm. and it's a little bit easier for them so how did that impact scotty right so we talked a little bit about the shooting and everything so looking at my numbers here i have 35 games of high school and aau stats on scotty i have 24 games of florida state stats so that's you know ballpark 60 games right in high school in aau he shot 13 for 58 from three at florida state he shot 11 for 40 from three so that's about 24 for 98 so 24 25 percent right if you are that level shooter what happens is if teams don't have to close out on you they're just gonna go under all of your screens they're gonna pack the paint uh they're gonna close out short on you And when that's the case, there's always that extra help defender in the paint, right? In the lane that is waiting and ready to try and stop you from getting to the rim. Additionally, Scotty Barnes only shot six for 19 from the mid-range at Florida State. He only took 19 mid-range shots in 24 games at Florida State. And why is that? Part of it is because, again, there are just so many bodies in that, let's call it, eight to 16 foot range. A lot of the time, it's a lot easier. The help rotations are shorter that it's just harder to get shots off, off of pull-ups in that range. 
Like you almost have to run like what uh, Virginia does. They run like their mover blocker scheme, right? Where they have somebody come off of a curl. Kentucky has guys come off of curls, right? Into the mid range and like catch and shoot mid range jumpers as opposed to deriving them off of pull-ups. So I think that a Scotty is drastically improved as a shooter, but B more when I say that I'm talking about the shot creation aspect of it. And I think it's just genuinely harder to create shots for guys that are bigger just physically in the college game uh, that are perimeter players than it is for guys that are, are a little bit smaller, frankly. So to juxtapose the shooting numbers you listed to where he didn't have much of a shooting presence. Like Scotty is a very gifted player. He was a mammoth impact guy in high school and obviously in college, but the jump shot wasn't there. So the tracking data yeah. hasn't updated yet for NBA.com according to last night's game. But coming into the seven games of data we have, Scotty is shooting 43% on catch and shoot threes. And he also, he's only yeah. made one corner trip all year. So these are the long ones above the break. Shooting 40% on pull-up threes shooting 68% on his mid-range pull-ups, which for those people keeping score at home, he's hitting or he's taking about three a game of those. And 64%, I believe, is Kevin Durant's high watermark yeah. for mid-range pull-ups. So this is a guy who, let's give the stat line to 21.5 points, 10.4 rebounds, six assists, 1.5 steals, 2.1 blocks, 48.5% from the field goal, 38% from three. That's updated. 58% true shooting and a usage rate of 24. This type of thing, this shooting jump, it, it makes little sense looking at his history. Like, for example, if you look at Pascal Siakam yeah. in college, was one of the highest volume mid-range shooters the year he declared. That, not a lot of people know that, but it makes a little bit of sense when you go back to look at the, the data. You go look back at Scotty, and then you look at what you're seeing now, and there's this massive jump. Basically, I'm not a shot doctor. I know you pay more attention to this, but the biggest thing I can see is the pickup point is higher. That's my contribution. I know you talked about it in your breakdown. If I can get you to kind of detail what you've been seeing lately here. To me, it's all about his energy transfer uh, from his legs up through the shot, right? If you watch him shoot at Florida State, you'll see that like his energy transfer is off and it affects the rhythm of the shot. I think that he did not get enough legs into the shot. If I, I kind of broke this down in the video, if you go back and you watch a couple of shots of his at Florida state, which I put in, you can see that like his legs, you can literally like see it on the video, his legs straighten out almost while he's like still like on the ground, obviously, because like your legs are going to straighten out when you're on the ground, but like the legs are straighter earlier in the shot while it's deeper in his shooting pocket. And you can see that the rhythm is off. The energy transfer is off. Truncated. And I went through. It's truncated. And I watched all of his threes at Florida State before I did that video just to like jog my memory on the whole thing. I only put two in, but I feel like he missed probably two thirds of his misses short in college. Uh, that's anecdotal. Uh, if somebody like fact checks me on that, I don't stand by that. Uh, it just felt like that. Right. It felt like most of his misses were short. And I think that what the folks who have worked with him, you know, be it through WME pre-draft and you know, I'm sure he has his own trainers as well. What they've worked with him on, it, I think is very clearly getting his legs involved in the shot. I think that he has a little bit more of a knee bend inward now than what he did at Florida state to generate that power a little bit more often. 
to me, it's just all about the legs. And now you see the legs getting involved in the shot. And that, that's also when I think the shot breaks down a little bit now with the Raptors is sometimes there was a shot in the right corner uh, against San Antonio from three, like in semi-transition where he takes a three and you can see that like the rhythm just gets totally off. You know, I actually think that like at the top, he like kind of rolled into the shot, like with his wrist and it ends up falling short. He goes and gets the offensive rebound because he's so aggressive and saw that it was going to be a miss. And honestly, like, I think that's actually another big thing. He like has a better understanding of his shot now. Like he knows where the misses are going to be like before, like that, that's actually like a thing with shooting. Like, I think good shooters know where they're going to miss. Whereas guys that don't really shoot, like it's just inconsistent. You don't really know. I'm going to be honest. I still think he has enough of those inconsistent mechanics shots with Toronto, like even now to where I don't think he's a 41 or 42% three point shooter. But the thing is that for Scotty, he doesn't need to be that. If he is a 35 to 36 to even, God, 37% three-point shooter, I mean, he's impossible to stop. Like, he is going to be so goddamn hard to stop. This is going to be the worst Scotty Barnes is going to be until he's like 33, 34 years old. Uh, Assuming, you know, God willing, knock on wood, he stays healthy, right? Um, His ability if he is able to get that shot to that 35, 36, 37% range. And I think that that's pretty plausible right now. It, he's just going to open up so many more driving lanes for himself. He's going to open up so many more opportunities uh, off of closeouts to where he's, he is a significantly difficult problem to solve right now. I think uh, both in transition and it's improving in the half court. Yep. Uh, Darko had a really fun little quote where he was like, if you're closing out on Scotty, God help you. And that is kind of the yeah. point. A big part of that huge burst, you know, popping off in the fourth quarter against the Spurs. I know you saw some of this. I did a breakdown myself as well. He had, I think, five advantage closeouts just in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. Three on Zach Collins. One led to him getting a mismatch on Trey Jones where he got a rebound through that corner to the Gary in the corner. He got the, all the way to the rim on one. He also got fouled after Zach stepped too far out. And also he got one on Wemby where he ended up getting that dunk, right? And then I guess Keldon saw this happening and sat back a little bit, and then Scotty hit that that pull-up three that apparently he called out that he wanted to hit in the huddle. That's what Dennis Schroeder said anyway. That's kind of fun. (laughs) The shooting has been incredible. I think before the season, I I would have been over the moon if he jumped from, you know, hanging around 29, 30% to like 32, 33% this year. He's leapt all the way up to, he's now at 38% on high volume and mostly above the break, which are more difficult, which more people miss and which way more important for your wings and those guys to hit above the break threes for the spacing because teams will funnel above the break threes all day. They love getting, in fact, Darko preached as much, you know, when he had his introductory press conference, I talked to him about defense. He said he wants to make other teams shoot these shots. If Scotty's going to shoot, I think he's like 43% on his above the break threes right now. That's insane. And even I know a lot of people are really high on Scotty who did not predict. They didn't predict anything close. So the jump shot, I, you know, the the progression he's had is insane. And I don't know where it settles. I don't know what it looks like. But I've been a firm yeah. believer in his touch for a long time. 
uh, really high percentages his rookie season on contested hook shots, really high percentages his second season on contested hook yep. shots, always been a talented finisher at the rim, always able to square his body, sorting out some of the, the truncated aspect of his jumper, you know, letting the wrist do a little bit more work. You know, it, it's not as much pushing from here. It's yeah. more natural because you got more yeah. power from the legs, letting the touch flow a little bit more. His, a lot of his misses are good too. Like touching every part of the rim and out. Um, I've been, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't walk away from this with any other, you know, opinion other than like, I'm extremely impressed with the jump shot. But I guess we could, unless you have any other thoughts on the jump shot, I, I kind of want to talk about defense, if that sounds all right. Well, the last thing I'll say on the jump shot is what I think is happening is like by involving his legs a little bit more in the shot, I think he's getting a more consistent trajectory. And I think that that speaks to your point in terms of him hitting more of the rim often, right? Uh, sometimes when you don't involve your legs, they're short. You know, sometimes they'll be like a little bit ugly, uglier misses. And oftentimes too, like, you know, if your legs are going in a game or if your upper half is going in a game, right? The less body parts that you involve in your shot, the more likely you are to have those uh, misses fester later in games as you get tired, as, you know, things go. And, you know, Scotty is a human being that seemingly is indefatigable on some <laughs> level, right? But, like, you know, for most humans, that's what happens. Uh, in Scotty's case, I don't know if it necessarily applies, but I do think it is a relevant piece of it that just, like, having, you know, more functional rhythm, having a better energy transfer throughout the shot. Uh, and generally, I'm really glad you brought up to the point of like involving like a little bit more wrist. Uh, I've always thought that his shot was clean coming out of the hand. It's just like there was like a little slight hitch at the back. And it was just, yeah, it, again, like no, nothing felt rhythmic about it at Florida State. I thought there were just so many different things to do with the shot at Florida State that it would take time. But you know, he, here he is now, you know, we're in year three and it's already to the point where, look, I, I if I was coaching against Scotty Barnes, like I would still say that the scout has to be that you close out short, if yep. only because of who he is. And I would still continue to pr make him prove that he can make threes. But like, I don't have faith that he's not going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Like, he's a really, really good shooter. Like, he's not a really good shooter at this point, but he is a much improved shooter that it's a real threat now, I think, when he takes shots, which is really all he needs. And if these percentages hold up, I mean, my God, like yep. he's if, if these percentages hold up, he's going to be like a top seven player in the league. Yeah, like top. It's going to be ridiculous. And also making Scotty shoot is not uh, an indictment of who he is. It's, you know, a hat tip to what happens if you close out. And the Spurs, like, Scotty made, what, three threes in the fourth quarter? Yes. But the biggest thing was getting downhill, collapsing the defense. This is something that the Raptors, they've kind of had trouble doing so. Even this season in the half court, really tough time collapsing the defense because it's already collapsed yep. to some degree because of the spacing. Last year, their paint touches were really low. This year in the half court, paint touches are low. If you get Scotty, yep. who can make the read above the break, one pass away, can make the read to the short or to the strong side corner, to the weak side corner, can throw a live dribble lob, can make a lay down after getting the, the low man to step up. He can make any pass, and he can also avoid the charge that is trying to slide under while going downhill 
if I I'm saying yes, Scotty Barnes keep shooting, not because I think don't think he can shoot, but because I'm just not willing to let him pick apart my defense by giving him closeouts. Like you just have to pick the the lesser of two evils or something, you know, about that, I guess. But I guess jump shot creates opportunities and then he gets to lean into the very easy advantages that he finds. I think leaning into advantages is a big part of why he's been more successful defensively this year. Pascal Siakam takes a lot of those reps on ball handlers now. Siakam's more fleet of foot. Even though he's older, he's he's got quicker feet. He's more alive. He's more bendy around screens. He's He guarded Paul George when he was a second-year player. He's guarded John Wall in a playoff series. Like This is kind of who Pascal's meant to be. And Scotty is uh, more formidable in the paint, I would say. And you talked about, you know, how teams and how players can target his high foot. And that's something everybody who attacks the closeout should be able to do. And how Scotty, sometimes the feet at the point of attack can get messy. Sometimes he'll ride a hip too high and give up a straight line drive. But when he's playing lower and he's a really quick jumper and he's a good jumper and he has an insane wingspan, evidenced by that block he had on Kyrie where he wiped it off the glass, you know, with, with his right hand last night. This is a guy who gets to time guys up and has more of yeah. room for error because he jumps quick. This is a guy who gets to watch plays process from the bottom. And this guy who's making a lot of really great reads as the low man. I know you brought up a missed tag and there's some, there's some stuff that the Raptors miscommunicate on at this point of the season, but yeah. the blocks and steals he's, I think he's at what 3.5 right now stocks. It's insane. Just yep. your overall yep. uh, impression of the defense. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that the stocks numbers probably overestimated a little bit just because like the stocks numbers are, oh my God, he's one of the five best defenders in the league, right? I think we're at the point where like I would feel okay calling him in the low man role and in off ball helping roles and things like that. He is definitely an above average defender and is like, honestly, probably like a well above average defender in that role. But I still don't really love him on the perimeter. And like if I was, yeah, like I, I think that, you know, for instance, like Wemby caught him a couple of times in that game. And honestly, like with how you, cra- with how I craft those videos, like he he got beat like probably three more times in the first half that I didn't put in there. And I I didn't put them in because a couple of them were really early in the game and I didn't want to start the video off on like an enormous bummer because like there were like four straight things he did where it was like, oh, shit, like I I can't start the I can't start this video saying he's going to be like an all star this year where like the first four clips are like, oh, shit, he just got beat like, oh, this is like a missed thing. Oh, like, here we go. He throws throws his turnover. Like it's a no chance. Hail Mary pass and transition to Pascal like. The, the the defensive decision making at times I think can be a little bit rough. And I think that the hip flexibility in space is the biggest like long term concern I have for him, actually. Like e- even more than the shot, like he's shown real tangible growth going from one level to a different level with the shooting. I don't know that he's shown a ton of growth in terms of like perimeter defense, being able to drop his hips, being able to like get flexible around screens, being able to slow down his momentum consistently on closeouts. I think the closeouts have really improved, Sure, but they're 
it, it's more like a function of him using like quick choppy steps like to get into them a lot of the time and i think that non-centers can take advantage of that but again if you're going to use him in the role where you're having him guard fours and fives you're probably okay mm-hmm. doing that but in scramble situations he often sells out for like a big block on jump shots. He tries to, you know, if you pump fake him, like Zach Collins got him in the fourth quarter of that Spurs game where he pump faked him in the right corner and Scotty like flew by like three rows deep into the stands. And then Collins drove and Otto Porter had to help and Collins drew the foul. But you also don't want to like overemphasize those moments either. Right. Because like you said, his help defense has been ridiculous this year. Like he is all over the place in help is the low man uh, in scrambly situations where he can go for steals and go for blocks, right. Where he can just like play off of instinct and just be like, shit, I'm going to go for this. Right. You know what I mean? So uh, the defense is complicated. Samson. I, I have some real uh, things that I'm working through with it. And I think right now I would call him an above average defender that like, I don't think should be in conversation for an all defense team, despite the stocks and like the steals and blocks. But I I do think that he is like legitimately an above average defender now. Whereas last year I thought he was like quite poor defensively. And that's like real genuine, tangible growth. I think, um, I think we probably disagree on our evaluation of his defense last year, which is okay. And we're here to talk about mm. the current stuff. I agree with a lot of the of what you identify as like weak points. And I'm very glad to see that the Raptors, through coaching and through the decisions they've made yeah. as far as like how they their defensive framework have moved him away from some of his limitations. Like this is a guy who his first couple of years, as you said, really struggled on the perimeter. I've talked about it. God. Uh, hundreds of times at this point we've we've talked about it like it it is a real thing and i'm glad that you bring it up in terms of because this is accurate like this is definitely how i feel about it like the new coaching staff has moved him away from being in problematic spots now i felt like last year he was in his problem spots way more often where he was guarding on the perimeter just way more often than what he is being asked to do now and I thought that last year it led to poor results, but this year by positioning him better and through his own improvement, he's getting more instinctive and he's anticipating things better and he's getting way more comfortable defensively. And then kind of finding a way to blend that with his motor, which always runs hot, always goes, always goes. He is now like a, he's a, I think he's a plus defender. He's definitely, I think he's I'll a plus say, I'll say this. Now. Yeah. I like, thought he was a plus I, I think defender he is a plus last defender. year. And I think he's like well above average currently. Of course, the, yeah. de- the defensive playmaking, you have to kind of incorporate what is the trade off. And he's currently winning yeah. that. He's winning that trade off too. And, I, you know, it's, it's fine that we disagree on this. That's okay. But he's currently, no, totally. he's, yeah. he's currently winning the defensive trade off. In an insane way. It's kind of, you remember when Gary Trent Jr. was fourth on the defensive player of the year ladder because he was getting like four steals a game. This feels right. more substantial than that. And what I love particularly is that putting Scotty in this position as opposed to Siakam makes sense because the Raptors are a big team that can lean into a lot of advantages on the interior. Yeah. And they need to do as much as they can on the exterior to quiet things down. Pascal. He's not a defensive playmaker. 
he, he is a guy who his best defensive possessions, it's like contain, contain. He doesn't poke dribbles. He doesn't hunt them. He wants you to yeah. move the ball on from a dangerous on-ball player. OG is the rare guy who will contain and hunt, and that's why he's OG is OG, of course. And Scotty is a guy who couldn't contain but hunted all the time on the perimeter. Putting him lower in the defense, giving him opportunities to hunt, particularly with Jakob Pertl hanging around, particularly with wings who affect passing lanes all the time. Scotty is much more willing than Pascal has ever been to like, just, just go for it, see what happens. And he's winning that so much yeah. that now does this manifest in like every game? It's 1.5 to 2.5 blocks and steals. I don't know. I guess we'll see. But well, 1.5 each, something like that, right? Three stocks is pretty insane. 3.5 is nuts. Does it manifest in that all year? I don't know if the decision-making carries over and he keeps winning nonstop. But early on, he's winning the bets. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the Pirtle edition because I actually thought that he got better defensively late in the year last year after Pirtle got there. And I think that having Pirtle there as the backing guy that can be the anchor, who can defensive rebound, who can be that consistent rim presence. I think that's what has really helped unlock him in such a substantial way. He does get to go hunt. Like think about it the way that Jaron Jackson and mm -hmm. Steven Adams work in a very synergistic manner. And now without Steven Adams there, Memphis's defense goes from being the best defense in the league to, you know, they're top 10 in defense. Like their problems right now are almost all offensive based. But that's a big drop off. That's going from having Jaron Jackson at center to being the hunter, being the uh, guy who can go and just scramble and make plays happen. He's much less effective if he has to be the primary guy. And that's okay. It just means that you need to find the right role for all of these guys defensively. And that's what I think Jakob has unlocked in a big way for Scotty. Now, like, there are trade offs right yep. on offense of in course. terms of the spacing. And I think Jakob gets probably shit on a little bit too often in terms of that spacing thing, because he is like a great screener and he's somebody that really understands space. Well, sure. in terms of trying to like avoid that to me, their spacing issues tend to be more Pascal and Scotty, like wanting to operate in the same areas. But it's also that um, there's a, it's incongruent the way that Jakob can unlock spacing as a screener, the Raptors don't like Schroeder has done well this season with the possessions he's yeah. getting, but the, the Jakob Dennis screen and roll stuff hasn't been high efficiency. Dennis's pick and rolls mm -hmm. haven't been high efficiency. And the big problem so far, like Scotty hasn't gotten that many pick and roll possessions, but Pascal has really struggled. Like teams load up. Yeah. He's not making the skip pass he's supposed to. And so the way that Pirtle can open guys up with screens, Pascal and Scotty are mostly used to, well, this screen just initiate, initiates a switch. I can't go into the space that you're carving out deftly. So it's like a mismatch there. Um, nobody's getting the better out of it, which doesn't mean that they're bad players or that they don't have skills. It's just like a bit of a mismatch, you know? Well, so I didn't watch the full game last night. I just kind of sure. watched like bits and pieces of it before we started recording. Do you, do you feel like, a way to get around that would be to, and this is something that they started doing a little bit more often. I noticed in the Spurs game too, staggering, you know, the Pirtle Scotty lineups and moving Siaka more to like bench units 
with like kind of the backup bigs and let like Siakam and like Jalen McDaniels and those guys kind of roll a little bit like that feels like kind of an adjustment to me that could unlock Siakam a little bit offensively more they have tried a few different things Darko has and and the staff it's we've seen successful Scotty plus bench lineups where Scotty is kind of operating yeah. as this hub and we've also seen successful Siakam plus Pirtle and shooters lineups that they can kind of try mm-hmm. to go to and there's some pet plays that they go to like they have some gut Chicago gut DHO actions for Pirtle and Siakam to link up on they have these disguised flares to try and get Pascal to an empty side yeah. and stuff like that but um they haven't figured it out they, completely. They, they ran one of those middle Chicago plays to start the third quarter yes. of the Spurs game to get Scotty going because Scotty had only had three points at halftime so yeah yeah, it's pretty funny. It's um, it's something that they they've yet to figure out. But to the point, the Raptors were, I think, the sixth best defense since they traded for Pirtle last season, and that's with I do yeah. think Schroeder has been a better defensive guard this season than Fred was. You know, not not just all of last season, but after Pirtle came as well, and so he's operating from a point of strength which really allows him to kind of like swim in the strengths, dominate his areas. And there's athletic reasons for that. There's physical makeup reasons for that. And there's like, you know, his decision-making. If you let a guy like that kind of play on a whim instinctually as a helper, he's, he's done fantastically so far. And I think you and I probably disagree a little bit about the efficacy maybe so far and in the recent past, but that's okay. What we agree on is it's going well right now. And I expect yeah. it to go well in the future for sure. No, I think that the important thing is that this is the role that Scotty should be playing. And he is yeah. very strongly succeeding when he's playing this role consistently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I love what I've seen from him. Like, I love the fact that they just like straight up have him like guarding bigs a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they'll like have him guard bigs and like use Pirtle as just like the interior defender, right? That's super smart. I think that this coaching staff has a better understanding of how to utilize Scotty's strengths defensively than the last one did. And I think he's going to like, he has very real all defense upside long-term. Like if everything goes well for him and he continues to grow in terms of being able to close out onto guys at a really high level and being able to slide his feet. It Once he gets his momentum going, it's not that he can't be switchable. Like it's more the stop start of like having to close out. Right. And then having to like change direction or switch or like, you know, if someone catches him, like, okay, I have to close out on this guy. Screener comes up. Okay. I'm going under and then rescreen happens. Right. Trying to like change direction multiple times, I think kind of screws with them a little bit on the perimeter, but Those are technical things that I think can be fixed outside of maybe the hip flexibility. Like that's where I'm like a little bit like that. That's like really Scotty's like only deficiency physically to me. There was like that. Yeah. I had, um, I'm not sure if you follow Polar on Twitter. He's a, um, an MD from Korea who works in sports and he talks about Uh biomechanics a lot. He and I wrote this piece together kind of talking about, Scotty Barnes biomechanics when he first came into the league and he talked about high hips and how Scotty, you know, struggled to be like explosive in small areas because he wants to stay big and you can reference how OG really stays big with big strides 
And you can even see like around screens and stuff like that. OG will stab step to stay big or he'll kind of bust through to stay big. And Scotty hasn't figured out his counters yet. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Yeah. But th this is something he's, you know, people thought maybe he'd have to work around and getting skinny around screens, all this kind of stuff. It's not what he's best at. He's a big yeah. playmaker in big space on offense and defense. And I'm going to use that to segue us into, let's talk about transition. The Raptors, the number one transition offense yeah. in the NBA. They are not number one in frequency. They're like maybe like ninth or 10th, but points per possession. They're up there um, losing Fred Van Vliet and giving more of those possessions over to Scotty Barnes. A pretty big deal. Uh, having Gary Trent Jr. take less of those transition possessions, a really big deal. And in particular, having like OG hit threes and dunk in transition and having Scotty and Pascal just, you know, barrage the rim. What have you made of Scotty, who consistently gets that Magic Johnson comparison as like the run and gun guy in the big spaces of the court? What have you made of him as the the leader of the Raptors league best uh, transition offense? Yeah, he's been unbelievable in transition so far, but I think it's it's really interesting the way he operates in transition because he grabs on the break and goes until he hits half court. And then once he hits half court, he's trying to find bodies, right? He's trying to find, okay, is there somebody trailing me? Is my guy trailing me? Or is somebody behind me? Is there an overload on one side of the court? If there's an overload on one side of the court, I know that I can get my guy on my back and I can create all sorts of pressure on the man in front of me, right? He's basically trying to like isolate guys in transition yep. that have to help on him eventually in making it kind of an easy game for himself, right? By using his vision and his processing ability coming down the court. And by doing that, he's simplifying the game in a real way. Uh, look, he's still gonna miss reads. Uh, I think that as a passer, he has exceptional vision uh, or he has exceptional ability to execute on some level high pass big time things for, but he misses things from time to time he doesn't i guess doesn't have exceptional vision but like has all of the passes in the book right like it, it's weird he misses these reads from time to time in favor of just like going up for contested shots at the basket but i think it's more of a matter of i'm six foot nine with a seven foot three wingspan i'm physical as shit why wouldn't i just go and attack right like that's kind of the reality of who he is but he has all of the passes in the book. Like it's so hard. Like when I watch him in those moments, I see these passes and I'm like, well, like he could have like jumped past and threw like a statue of Liberty throw, like kick out to the corner. And I'm like, yeah, but like, there are like five dudes in the league that do this. Am I re like, am I just like over, am I grading him too highly? Like on a curve? when I'm seeing this stuff, right? Like, am I thinking that, oh, wow. Like I actually think he has the ability to do that and the capability to do that because of his length, because of the passing ability he inherently possesses. Or am I just like being too critical of when he misses some of these reads, right? It's because he has the natural talent to be able to do it. I think that's the next step for him is just like making the right decision on his drives, drive after drive after drive as opposed to sometimes, you know, going up to the basket, sometimes making the wrong read. He never turns the ball over, like, very, very rarely turns the ball over. 
you know, obviously averages six assists a game, something like that. Like he has all the passing talent in the world. He just, I, I can't tell. Like, am I being too hard on the passing? So, do you think? I, I think, like, I think, yeah. I think you and I. No, I don't. I don't. I don't blame you. Yeah. If you think, I think yeah, you, you and like I, I have a. It's, go ahead. Well, it's it's that. I think he has the capacity to be like that LeBron style sure. like player in transition, and he's not there yet. And I, I, like, part of me feels like I'm trying to rush him into it. Maybe. I guess. Maybe. I think when I watch Scotty, and maybe maybe more to the point that like every player is going to miss reads, or maybe I'm not looking at like LeBron in 2008 closely enough and being like, holy, mm-hmm. this guy didn't miss a single read, maybe. But Scotty, I think, I the the point you bring up about him being able to perform passes, like it's there's yeah. passing vision and there's passing talent. Scotty is a guy who, if you need the ball to go through a pinhole. Not only on the Raptors, yes. but among many players in the NBA, there's like five guys you're picking. He might be one of them. Like you fit the ball through there. He can really make it happen at the pace it needs to and at the accuracy it needs to. And from a lot of different and arm slots. That's what I was yeah. going to say. And off of a live dribble from a lot of different arm slots. Both hands. Because his hands are so big that he can just pick it up and throw it from any angle. Right. Part of it is just like functionally being who he is physically. Right. Yeah. And then on top of that, I also, I really trust Scotty to make the right decision an exorbitant amount of the time, like a really high percentage of the time. I think, I think transition proficiency is really an expression of that where the floor is big. And as you, like you really greatly pointed out, he uses his body very comfortably in the open court to eliminate guys out of lanes. He wants to open up for teammates. And if there's two guys and he wants to make things less complicated, he'll use his body to eliminate one and then bring the guy to step up and know he opened up a lane for a runner, create a layup or something like yeah. that. That's really great. That's seeing the pass and creating the pass before it's there. And then I think he does make the pass. The biggest difference between Scotty and LeBron, for example, which pretty crazy that we're, you know, we're having that conversation and kudos to Scotty for putting putting us in that place. But I think Scotty just isn't as dynamic off the bounce, isn't bending the defense often enough from a standstill to make those advantage passes. But I'm pretty certain that when I watch Scotty, when he has a collapsed defense, when there's an advantage to be derived from making a read as a passer, he's like 99th percentile. He's like, Jokic is the 100th. Jokic finds advantage no matter what, but there's a few guys in that 99th. And I, I do think... Maybe it's homerism, maybe it's not. But I do think Scotty is very close, if not there. So I I don't think he's in like the 99th percentile. Like sure. to me, the 99th percentile are guys like Jokic, LeBron, Tyrese Halliburton, like et cetera, et cetera, right? Like the best passers in the league, like point blank. Like Trey Young, I think, is like another guy that like is he unbelievable as a passer. Yeah. Like, but... And I think this is where I think I'm probably being too hard on him. Again, there are five or six guys in the league that can do this. But if Scotty wants to be one of the five or six guys in the league, right? If he wants to be that unbelievable top five player that can be the best player on a title team, like Giannis doesn't make those reads. And I guess that Tatum doesn't make those reads ended up being the best player on a title team. 
Tatum doesn't make those reads for sure. You know, has yet to be the best player on a title team. We'll see if it happens. I think certainly has a chance to be. But I also think that like that's been a significant deficiency of Boston's late game offense is on inability to make reads in tight situations, which is why they've been quite poor in you know, close late games over the course of Joe Missoula's tenure so far. But like that, that's Luca is like this, like he can make these reads at a really high level, but I think Scotty can get there and I don't think he's there yet. And, and maybe that's why I'm hard. Like I, I like, if you wanted to throw that he's in like the 95th percentile, like I'm totally there. And like, that is an unbelievable statement of Scotty. Sure. Right. I'll shake on that. No, totally. But to reach that, top five player in the league, top seven player in the league, whatever you want to call it, that can be a best player on a title team, which is ultimately what we're talking about here. Like with what Toronto has built everything around with Scotty Barnes, right? Like we'd agree. Like that's what their, that's what their belief is that Scotty can be. If you're not hoping for that, you know, what are you doing really? Right. A hundred percent. So I think that's why I'm like, man, these, these little misses, like they, they just add up like in my brain a little bit more often than I would like personally, while also acknowledging again, I'm holding him to a different standard at this point, because I think that the passing talent could allow him to get to the point that those guys are at, but he's not there yet. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm this conversation progresses once he is a more, effective and you know we've had eight games of jump shooting but once he's consistently an effective half court scorer and presence because like a high percentage of his points this season higher than last season are coming in transition the raptors are doing a really great job of scoring in transition he's the biggest reason for that he's been the best player on the team so far i don't want to be down on him but certainly we get to have more interesting conversations about his playmaking once he's able to create a little bit more regularly off the bounce in the half court and we get to see some of those reads and the passing talent manifest well and to be honest with you samson like we're talking about him now as as like the the names i just brought up yeah totally right that inherently makes this a positive conversation you know what i mean like just being able to discuss him is like hey like this is where this is going at this point Mm -hmm. like we'll see if it gets there growth is not linear especially once you hit these levels like it becomes really really hard to get to certain spaces in that vein so but inherently this is a this is a conversation about scotty barnes going from uh being a guy that's going to make the all-star team this year and is like a top 20 player in the league right now to being the top five guy in the league and being in the echelon with you know LeBron, Luca, Jokic, you know, yep. et cetera, et cetera, right? Like whoever he has, a, we want he to has say. a lot of time too. Like Siakam, God bless him. I love watching Pascal. He's a tremendous player. His development is incredible. But when he came into media day last season and said, you know, I'm trying to m- turn myself into a top five player, he's allowed to say that you're supposed to be optimistic about your own game. But Scotty Barnes is going to be saying the same thing at media day next year, maybe. And he's going to be 23 when he does it instead of 29. And he's going to be on the last year of his rookie scale contract. And he has a bunch of time. And the step he's taken to start this season, a lot of what's working was rooted in stuff we've already seen. 
but there's a lot of development and work that he's obviously put in to step things up and it's unlocked things and kind of really helped um, elevate what he does well. And, you know, he's a young guy, third year, we're eight games in, he's killing it right now. And to be compared well, to the names that we said, yeah, inherently very positive. Well, the, the funny, the funniest way that we can phrase this, right, is that Scotty Barnes right now, you know, 22 years old in like 100 days, something like that. <clears throat> 22.3 years old. Sure. Top 20 player in the league-ish. Let's ballpark it there. Sure. Right. He is younger right now than Pascal Siakam was when he <laughs> entered the league. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like before Pascal Siakam ever played a game in the NBA, Scotty Barnes is younger. For all, all the messy stuff that has happened with the Raptors team building, some injury luck with guys they thought would help out, some of the shooting development that didn't come around or shot creation development that didn't come around, uh, anything that's gone wrong from a team building aspect, Scotty is aggressively papering over with, look at me, yeah. look at me, I'm everything anybody ever wanted. That is the benefit of stars. Like Luca, for example, on Luca's rookie contract, the Mavericks got a chance to go in and try and build a team. They didn't build a good enough team around him, but they get more chances yeah. because he's so excellent. Scotty, it's looking like this is a guy who you get a few chances at, and that's the biggest deal. Something I do want to talk yeah. about, we had the same takeaway about different games. So <laughs> Scotty didn't have the jumper going last night at all, but he yeah. still comes out of that game with an absurd stat line, like 14 points, 14 rebounds, seven assists, four steals, two blocks. He didn't shoot well from the field, but I look at that game, and this also kind of speaks to our disparity and how we view his defense maybe, but I look at that game and I say, this is maybe not a floor, because when you have six stocks in a game, that isn't a floor. But I look at the overall impact defensively, the defensive playmaking, you look at the playmaking in the open court, and some of the play finishing when he gets downhill with the help of teammates and in the open court, I'm just like, whether the jumper's there or not, he's going to find this mostly every game. Maybe not these gaudy numbers, but he's, and God, he's been awesome on the glass. And that's something he's been yes. since he came in. The defensive rebounding has gone up a level, obviously. But to get back to the point, this is something you can expect a modicum of this. That establishes a really high floor for his game that he can just work from and that's why top 20 players fully in the conversation if any of this shooting stuff normalizes. And you thought this about the Spurs game. <laughs> and I kind of want to hear your well, explanation. Yeah, the, the defensive rebounding to, for me is a function of him being around the basket more. Yeah. Right? Like he's playing that low man role, which allows him to come in and rebound defensively now. Uh, the Spurs game, to me, I was like, man, this dude is just like kind of a star. Like this is kind of what stars do. Like they sometimes guys struggle to get through a half, right? Sometimes they struggle for a quarter, two quarters, two and a half quarters, something like that. And then they just turn it on. Yep. Right. Like Scotty Barnes, frankly, for that Spurs game, he was not very good. Like for the first half yeah. of that game, the whole like, team not unreasonable sucked, to man. say the first half. Yeah. No, God awful. No, they were down 17 going into the fourth quarter. Like it, it, it's a reality that he was not great for the first half of that game. And then the sw uh, switch flipped right to where it was like, Oh no, this is a dude. And he 
did not let them lose. Yeah. Like that was the reality of that fourth quarter. That fourth quarter was all Scotty. And it was like, oh no, I am taking this over with my energy, with my transition ability. I'm going to make a couple of threes. I'm going to make a couple of pull-up threes, like right in your grill off of the dribble handoff or that one on the left wing against Kelvin Johnson, right? Yep. Like, that was the one where I was like, oh, no, like, this is just a star. This is what stars do. They come through in big moments. And even if they don't play well for a half, he's still going to get his at some point. That's the reality. Like he is going to get his. It's big and blocks. You just got to manage it at this point. Yeah. Um, the willingness and ability to make something happen, to just step on the floor and shake a game up with your presence. Um, the Spurs did a few different things defensively during the second half. Uh, one was putting Wemby on OG. I thought that was very um, like misguided. The Raptors kind of started out doing well. I, I don't understand why that happened. That was a mistake. Yeah. But then they made the correct play and they said, Wemby might be the rookie. He might be the teenager, but we need to put him out there against Barnes. And yeah. Barnes, he like Barnes the whole game. I think he was three of 12 at one point was trying to figure out how the hell do I get to the rim again with Wemby hanging there, either as his primary or as yeah. the low man. And he missed shots and he picked up his dribble too early and he wasn't able to kind of time him up. And then he figured it out. Okay, I'm going to get Wemby on a string chasing. I'm going to blow past him. I'm going to create looks. For a guy who, like, yes, you know, push did come to shove. He did have to hit jumpers and, like, hitting three, especially that, you know, the pull-up, yes. But when Grady threw that fastball corner to corner and Scotty backpedaled into the corner, caught it at his chest, didn't dip, and just went straight up to beat the clock, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, like, I know. That was that like blew my mind. Totally blew my mind when he like no dip threed one. He he <laughs> it's you're kind of like I can't believe this is happening. And then also being able to leverage that shooting that he, you know, like he grabbed with the purpose of, you know, a seal door, grabbing his father's sword to take, you know, obviously some Lord of the Rings reference. <laughs> I love here. it. But I love it. There's there's like significant purpose to what he's doing and everybody knows he thinks the game at a really high level. He has tremendous feel. So it's cool to see him kind of putting the work in to manipulate the defense and having it pay off in a huge way. Like he could have missed the threes, but the intention is still there. So this was intention, talent, and like performance all melding into, as you said, maybe the best fourth quarter we've seen this year of anybody. And if not that, at least top five. Um, Star quality, I guess we're talking about like showing the ceiling for a half. Showing the the intangible, I'm gonna make something happen. Unbelievable yeah, right. game, unbelievable second half, unbelievable fourth quarter. He blew my mind, man. He's he blew my mind in that quarter. He he was he was everything. That was the quarter where I feel like if you're a Raptors fan, you go, oh yeah, this is why Masai did this. This is why Masai kind of has built everything around him. Hasn't been willing to give him up. In a deal for Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, et cetera, et cetera, right? This is why. This is it. Well, he's, so, he, he comes in and he shoots better than Kevin Durant, apparently. So why would you? <laughs> why would you? That's it, it, man. If the, it, Look, if that's where we're at, this dude's going to be a, literally like one of the three best players in the league. Yeah. I don't think it's that. But like, <laughs> you know, well, if it's if it's two levels below this, even it's good. It's good enough. You know what I mean? Like it can be. 
he can go from best player in the league to, you know, really, really good to above average. And if he's above average at it, that's all that matters. Yeah. Like he'll be great. He, after his rookie season, he wins rookie of the year. And a lot of the conversation shifts to team building, maximizing he and Siakam. And you, there's that inherent bet of, well, this team can work. Fred, Pascal, the guys on the roster can work if Scotty does the thing, the superhero thing of being a rookie contract all-star. Then he has the second year where he very clearly made steps. He won way more minutes than year one, especially as a playmaker. His reads improved. There was like some defensive stuff low in the defense that improved. But overall, a lot of people saw 15.3 points year one, 15.3 points year two. And, you know, I like Raptors fans were obviously high on him the whole time. But I think a lot of people started saying all-star farther down. Like he's got things to work on. And then he takes a few months off and works on his game, his conditioning, all that kind of stuff. He comes back and immediately we're right back at rookie scale contract, all-star status. Like, and you yeah. could be the 37th best player in the league and make an all-star team. But the way he's playing now, he would be a no-brainer. And we're talking about a top 20 player. It's absurd. Um, the Scotty yeah. Barnes experience so far this year, I hope it is just as insane as it has been to start. I hope it continues that way. Sam, before we get out of here, is there any, I guess, parting shots on Scotty you want to let go? Well, so my, not even on, sort of on Scotty. Sure. My final question here, and this will be like a seven minute conversation. Hell so yeah. I'm sorry, as you're trying to wrap it up. Uh, my, my biggest thing with the Raptors has just been, where is this all going in terms of the contractual status of these guys? Right. <laughs> and the fact that you have both OG and Pascal and OG, by the way, like I, I kind of was a little bit surprised that like there seemed to be zero willingness to discuss extension, even at his max number, because to me, I'm just like, well, like you can lock in it. What is it? After the 140% number came in for an extension, you can lock in it, you know, $30 million a year. Right. And like, that doesn't seem like a disastrous number for somebody like OG Ananobi. He'd probably get a little bit more on the free agency market. I think if I coming can, into the year, if I, I can mean. give some insight. I think OG is the one stiff arming that one. No, that's my point. Yeah. yeah no, I, I mean, on his part, yeah. because this is a guy that's dealt with quite a few injuries in his past. So I was like, okay, you can lock in 120 ish, something like that. Do you know the number off the top of your head? No, because I, I forget what it is exactly. Yeah. Okay. You can lock in, let's say 30 ish million dollars a year as a starting point. And, you know, in free agency, maybe you can go out and get an extra 15 million over the course of a four year deal. Why wouldn't you just lock in now and make sure that you have that money when you're somebody that has had an injury history, right? But he doesn't seem to be willing to discuss that which puts the Raptors in a bind. And then whatever is going on with Siakam extension situation is a little bit bizarre. They're still in a place now where they have to make very real, difficult, tangible decisions, not only in terms of what they do with these two guys, but in terms of what is best for Scotty's development now, because that's where this has to go at this point sure it's, it just is the reality and i think it's always been where it's going for them they want it they have always wanted it to be what is best for scotty's development long term but i would ask you 
how do you handle this now? Does this change anything in terms of the way that you handle it? And they have to make like a real deadline decision on Pascal, I think at this point, especially given the way he started. I'm trying to navigate all of that in my head. So I think the biggest thing is the Raptors have to be really diligent in identifying if they can ever get a star guard who is roughly in like going to be meaningful next to Scotty for a while. If ever an opportunity, that is the one you do your best to bite at and make happen. The Siakam stuff is like when, when on media day, Masai says he's going to try and talk extension with both OG and Gary, neither of which have come to fruition. Right. And I asked him specifically about, you know, the Siakam stuff. And he says, we are not like, we need to see that's paraphrasing, yeah. paraphrasing, of course. Um, Siakam, I, people can read tea leaves. You can do your best, but it's tough to tell what's going to happen with him. And it's tough to tell what's going to happen at the trade deadline. I have so little insight as to what the Raptors actually mean to do because they're already in an odd spot that most teams don't make decisions from in that Gary, OG, and Pascal are all expiring and nobody is restricted. They're all unrestricted free agents. And in a weak free agency class where those like OG and Pascal are like there, like any team with cap space is like, those are the guys. We just saw Fred get 40 million a year because it was like a yeah. weaker free agency class and he went unrestricted. It's tough to tell what's going to happen. And as far as building around Scotty, I think you just got to make sure that there's a guard who can collapse the floor for him. Uh, there's a guard who can run off of stuff with him as a hub and vice versa. And that's the most important thing going forward. And hopefully as he develops, I guess we'll see what happens. But the roster is the roster currently. And last year and the year before, Scotty was like the author of his own usage because they weren't running anything for him, really. He yeah. just had to go like push when he had an opportunity, yeah. grab offensive rebounds, cut, fill, take shots when they fell into his hands. And this is the first season with Darko where they're like, okay, you're getting more touches on the wing. You're going to be the guy who does the most. And now we're going to see what that what that presents. And then the Raptors, maybe this question is a little bit easier to answer in December or January. And they start making decisions about, we have a good idea of who Scotty is, how we want to build. But right now, I guess they're just like basking in his excellence so far, if that makes sense. Question two here is, if you want to go get a guard and you want to pay one of OG and Pascal, right? you probably end up having to make a choice between those two. They choose OG. I would say. Yeah. I agree with that. I would choose OG. But <laughs> this is where the tricky part comes in because he's an unrestricted free agent. This is going to involve like some very difficult real conversations about like what OG and Anobi wants and like what he is willing to accept and there's, everything there's like politics. that. Yep. Yeah. And trying to figure out what, works best for everybody involved and i am truly fascinated now by where and how this goes Ananobi, if i remember correctly just changed agency agencies to caa correct he changed yeah he changed um his agent moved correct to another it's it's 
Well, no. So it's uh, Omar Wilkes was his agent. Uh, Octagon originally went to Clutch, and then uh, Omar left the agency business. Oh, if okay. I remember correctly, okay. is what happened. And so it's different than like, oh, he just switched to find you know a different spot, right? Uh, it's more complicated than that. It's that he, you know, his guy left the agency business and went to Fanatics and he wanted to find a different agent. It's the first time he's been on the market for an agent in years. So if I remember correctly, that was the strategy. That was the whole breakdown of it. Sure. So it's going to involve very real, very difficult conversations. I think with OG to where you have to decide. I think if I was the Raptors, I still think this is pushing toward a Siakam trade at the deadline. That that I'm one has the, the highest likelihood of if, yeah. the, if there's a move being made, certainly that's the one with yes. the highest likelihood. And you have to have the conversation about OG. You have to, you just have to like have the conversation with him as much. You as have to have a really good idea about his intentions. Certainly. Because you can't lose both Fred and OG for zero value. That would be tough. You can't. That would be a disaster for them. And they have to make decisions now at this point, especially OG, because OG, well, Fred, they probably could have gotten like a first round pick, maybe a pick swap, something like that last year. OG, they can get ridiculous value stuff for. Like they can get real stuff for him that would help them build around Scotty long term. So that's that's where I'm at. Uh, and the last thing is you asked for a parting shot on Scotty, right? So... Raptors fans, as always, uh, I love you guys. You are fantastic. Truly, like people saying like the zero level scorer stuff, like totally get it. Like that's completely reasonable. I made the statement. I said, if I remember correctly, when I made that statement, I said, currently he is a zero level scorer. I think that was probably slightly false. I think he was a one level scorer for the first two years of his career. Is that false? I think he was strong enough. Well, I guess it depends what you consider the short mid range. What do you consider that a second level or is that part of level one? I'd say maybe he was a one and a half level scorer. Sure. Let's call it. Sure. So slightly off still, but one, one and a half level score. What I wrote in the draft guide in 2021 shooting is the swing skill. If Barnes makes shots, He's going to be something resembling an all-star because of his length, defensive upside, and passing ability. There are so few players in the NBA who are this big, this long, this fluid, who also consistently play as hard as Barnes does with such an infectious energy. The steal for the game is very high, and it gives him a much higher floor than what the typical non-shooter has. So I feel like that ended up being okay. I just ended up with him too low, right? And I made an offhand comment on a podcast that I probably shouldn't have because who hasn't done that before. But you know, when you're on camera, God knows how many hours a week you're going to say stupid shit. Uh, um... So I get it. Please. I understand it. Come at me, but also just remember, I really fucking loved Scotty Barnes coming into the draft. I, he's a really, really terrific prospect. I truly have always been on that boat. I think I was the only person that had him in the top 10 the entire year that year uh, among the people that do this publicly. So I've always really, really loved Scotty, but I think that the narrative has been a little bit distorted. Uh, just a very small. Can one. never, can never control narrative. Anytime I talk to scouts, yeah. um, I know like 
scouts are consumed, right? Like that's somebody who scouts. Basically, you exist in the mind of fans for like a, a month of the year, and then they can revert back yeah. to what you've said. But I talk to scouts like yourself and professional scouts, team scouts, all this kind of stuff. I appreciate most when somebody can articulate why they believe something rather than just having a big board totally. or something. Um, zero level scorer. That that one. I'm sure from Raptors fans, you're going to hear that like for however long, oh, yeah. but it's good. Them, them's the breaks, right? That's a, that's a reflection of having a large platform. And, um, you know, the, the, the biggest point is that you, you analyze Scotty today in a, a complimentary manner as you did then. And you didn't use the term zero level score. In fact, he's a three level score currently. So he is. Yeah. And the thing about me as well is like, and I think that a lot of people tend to hang on to their early evaluations sure. way too long. These things are such a snapshot in time when you're dealing with freaking teenagers coming into the league, right? You have to be willing to move off of this stuff. Like if like, honestly, that's why like, typically I feel like I'm the first person to just be like, yeah, look like I was wrong about that. Like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> I mean, we're dealing with incomplete information with teenagers. Like this is the reality. And I think that the more that I do this, the more that you just understand that the reality is you're going to get this shit wrong regularly. Like the best, the best evaluators in the NBA. And I talk to a lot of them. They get shit wrong all the time, yeah. guys. I promise you that like it is hard. It's really hard to evaluate teenagers, evaluate where they're going to go. And it's just the reality of, scouting the last three uh, mvps players all of which are top 30 players of all time one of them was a lottery pick you know it's tough that's right it's a tough game it's hard and of course since we're in this age now you um subject yourself to take culture <laughs> and and dunk culture as well um sam well and, and that's the other thing real quick just to finish on i have to put out a top 100 ranking every year if you saw some nba team boards guys yeah. You would lose your mind, <laughs> like truly lose your mind. Something seeing where some of these teams have some of these guys ranked. It is so funny uh, the way that that all happens. But look, it's where I'm at. It's what I've chosen to do. I completely respect people coming at me. That's why I don't really respond to it all that often, but it's fun. And I, I appreciate and I enjoy uh, I enjoy my job. And it's it's a really good time. The the only thing to do is just as you have been cover Scotty, the way that as his game changes. 100%. That's that's you ask any analyst, and every analyst has been wrong. What do you do when you got something wrong? Say you got it wrong, and cover them with the new information. And that you know this is the result of popular that's public it. work. You know, you get it, you get it dunked on every once in a while. Rudy Gobert totally he gets dunked on. You, if you contest a lot of shots, you get a lot of dunks, Sam. It's been an absolute pleasure. All the listeners who <laughs> stuck around for the live, all the people listening afterwards, thank you for listening in. If you're interested in Sam's work, uh, you can go to The Athletic for all of his NBA and draft work and also the Game Theory Podcast, which is on YouTube and all this kind of stuff. So, Sam, thank you. <laughs> listeners, thank you. Whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.